I want to start off with 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, look it up. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, because it's important for us to know what is God's will for me and everybody. And then, um, because that's our point of departure. That's, where, where do we go from here? Okay. So, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 3, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So this is saying that God wishes all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, number one, God's will for you is salvation, because that's an eternal issue. That's something which um, will change everything in your life but your eternal destination and we'll look at that in a moment so it's 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 salvation number one and then number two that you come to a knowledge of the truth and that's what discipleship is that's why we get into the 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 um, the discipleship program that we've got at the moment online and that's why we have uh, teaching on a sunday uh that's why it's a meaty teaching on a sunday it's not a poem and 15 minutes encouragement and a rah-rah out you go it's something of substance because we want you to grow in the knowledge of the truth and you can't grow unless you're challenged and you can't grow unless you have information and so buckle up amen so that's God's will for you, uh, but it starts with salvation. So I want to talk a little bit about salvation. The word gospel is first used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, most of the verses will be up on the screen, but Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. You know what I like about this verse is it's not only saying that Jesus preached, but he also did something. Okay? Okay, going somewhere to preach is doing something. <laughs> it's a hard work. Okay? But what it says here is that he went to preach the gospel, and the word gospel literally means good news. Okay? It's not a genre of music. It's literally a message which is good to hear. Okay? So that's the first thing. And then he went about healing. And what's so important to see is you read from through all the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus was in his earthly ministry, and you never see him put sickness on anyone. You never see him say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to heal you, when someone came and asked for healing. He healed everyone who came to him looking for healing. And he never said, you know, my will for you is cancer. My will for you is heart problems or whatever. And so, from Jesus' life, we can see that God's will is healing. Okay? But that was just for free. So, the word gospel literally means good news. And it's specifically talking about what Jesus did for us, because that's good news. I mean, he, he died on a cross, was buried in a grave, and raised from the dead three days later, so that we didn't have to get punished for our sins. So that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins. He paid a debt we couldn't pay. He paid so that we didn't have to pay. All we need to do is believe. And we'll look at that in a second. But it's, it, it's good news because he did something that we could not do. And so it's done for you. That's good. News. <laughs> so, simply put, John 3, 16 to 18 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. 
Okay? He gave His one and only Son. It's talking about His death, His burial, and His resurrection. It's not talking about the manger. Okay? It started there, but this is specifically referring to what Jesus did for us. His death, so that you didn't have to die as a criminal. Okay? His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So that everyone who believes, what I like about that, is it's saying that you receive the benefits of the cross when you believe. Not when you live a holy life. Holy living is good. But it's not when you, 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 you're living right and you're giving and you're doing this and you're doing that. It, it's when you believe in Jesus, you get the benefits of Jesus. Okay? So you don't have to try and be perfect. That's good news. I told you, the good news is good news. The gospel is good news. Okay? Everyone who believes will not perish, but have eternal life. So what that's showing us is that the gospel is an eternal issue. It's not necessarily a temporal issue. The gospel doesn't mean all your problems are going to get sorted out in this life. But it means forever you're secure. Okay? Keep that in your, your mind as we get into this. Because that is really important. Verse 17. God didn't send His Son into the world to judge the world, some translations say condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And that's so important to see. Because a lot of people think that, you know, because uh, you know, if you're a Christian and you walk into a room of unbelievers, a lot of people automatically feel condemned. Why? Because Christians can be very condemning. And what's sad about that is that we're misrepresenting Jesus who didn't come to condemn anyone. He came to set us free. He came to give us forgiveness. Okay? He didn't come to condemn us. Verse 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him. If you're scared one day of facing the judgment seat when you die, this is the answer. Believe in Jesus, you become a Christian, and you're not going to have to give an answer for your sin. Because your sin is paid for. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's gospel. That's good news. Okay? Anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. So in that last statement, it's the answer of um, why would a loving God send people to hell? The answer is He doesn't. The answer is, is you choosing not to believe in Jesus is you choosing to go to hell. Okay? So when we believe we pass from death to life not when we do something when we believe when we uh, believe we no longer perish but we have eternal life because of faith in jesus we're never judged for our sin that's good news okay romans chapter one i'm going to go through a couple of romans chapters just to give you a very quick overview of the gospel of salvation Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Not who does right, but who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So much in there, I want to pull this out. The message which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God that brings us salvation. Your holiness doesn't bring you salvation. Your giving money doesn't uh, bring you salvation. Your fasting doesn't bring you salvation. 
You're honouring your parents doesn't bring you salvation. All of those things could be good, but what you need to see is that what brings salvation is believe. Okay? Believe in this message. That's all. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. I, I, I've been a Christian most of my life, but I remember for a long time I was always trying to get right with God. Every time I made a mistake, I was trying to get right with God. And it's even in Christian lingo. I've got to make sure I'm right with God. That's stupid. Because the Bible here says that you were made right with God when you believed. Faith made you right. Okay? Not, not what you do. And because we're made right in God's sight, we have peace with God because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. Not what you do for Him, but you have peace with God because of what He has done for you and you've chosen to believe that. That's good news. Amen? Okay? Because of our faith... Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and con confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So the gospel is the message of what God did for us in becoming a man, Jesus, dying on the cross three days later, rising from the dead, and what that means for us. And this is what it means for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You're never going to have God say, why did you do that? Let's look at that video again <laughs> of your life. Do you remember this moment when you X, Y, and Z? <laughs> you know, I want a reason. Why did you do that? You know, the, when he plays the DVD of your life, or maybe it's on uh, Heavenly Netflix now, <laughs> and everyone wants to watch it, and they're like, uh, oh, let's see, what did uh, Anna do there? I can't wait for her to come and visit and then tell us why she did that, because she has to give an account. There's no record of your sin. That's what Romans chapter, or not Romans, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17 says. It says, he remembers your sin no more. So if God remembers your sin no more, heaven doesn't remember your sin. So why would you have to give an answer for something they don't remember? Okay? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I think if the Bible says you will something, I think it means it. And so you can rest assured that if you declare Him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you're saved. Doesn't matter what the story is around that. If those two things are there, and we'll look at what that means in a moment, I think you're fine. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So what do you have to believe in your heart to be right with God? That's important. That's important. Because you can't just believe God is good. You can't just believe Jesus loves me. That's not enough. Okay? The gospel isn't Jesus loves you. The gospel is that he died and he, he was buried and he rose from the dead for you because he loves you. The gospel isn't an emotional thing. The gospel is a factual thing. There is evidence of his resurrection. Outside of the Bible. 
Okay? In, in, in some of the um, discipleship stuff we're going to be looking at, in the, the, I don't know if it's this week or next week, but in putting it together, we, we re- I was reading through a, um, a document that they've got of a, a Roman soldier, uh, 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 one of the Mulungus, what do you, what do you call him? Um, he's a, like a, a commander of some sort. And it was a, a, a thing that he wrote to, um, not to the emperor in Rome, but he wrote it to a, a, another higher ranking officer. Got all my facts messed up here, as you can see. But the, this is what happened. He wrote and he said, these Christians are troublemakers, and so I killed them. And he's like, I want to find out if I did the right thing. <laughs> but in it, you can see, like, he, he, the things he says, like, you can, it's, it's part, part of it is evidence for Christ's resurrection. Because you can see that these Christians were not able to keep quiet, even at, at, at um, threat of pain, of, de- of death. They, they knew they had experienced the risen Christ, and that's, that's, that's good evidence. You put a gun at someone's head and you start torturing them, and they'll, you know, they'll backtrack on any lie that they're trying to propagate. Anyway, when you believe Jesus rose from the dead to make you right with God, and when you accept that Jesus is God, you're saved. If you don't believe those two things, you're not saved. There's no other way. In that moment you believe this, you're no longer in eternal perishing, but you're in eternal life, and you're forever secure in the salvation of God. You've got a relationship, a friendship with Him forever, and you're secure. Now that's worth closing and going home, because it's amazing. Just to think about that, and to meditate on that, and that's awesome. All you need to do, if tonight you haven't received Christ, is believe in your heart that God did what He did for you, so you didn't have to, and now you're right with God, and Jesus is God. And then you're, you start your new life. Sadly, there are many people, and this is the whole book of Galatians, is written for the, this purpose, to come against people who are perverting the gospel. The whole book of Galatians is written by uh, 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 Paul because there's people who are coming and twisting and perverting the gospel. Do you know how they do that? They add to the gospel. They say, yes, Jesus did this, but let's, you still need to do this. You still need to live holy for God to bless you. You still need to tithe for God to bless you. You still need to give money if God, you know. How many of you know, God's not going to bless you unless you bless Him first. How stupid does that sound? That's what most of the church believes about giving and receiving in, in money. You know, anyway, so, so this is why Paul wrote Galatians, and we're not even probably going to mention one scripture on Galatians tonight, but people were perverting the gospel by saying Jesus plus, and you fill in the blank. And people do this today in relationship, you know, okay, you've just been saved, you're now a Christian, awesome, but now you must still do this for God to accept you. You must still do that. And they start to just keep, and they add on, and they add on, and they add on, okay? They make it about works, what you need to do for God. When true Christianity doesn't focus on what you do for Him, it focuses on what He has done for you. But... If you truly come to a revelation and an understanding of what He's done for you, you're going to start to work for Him. You're going to start to live for Him. You're going to start to do things because, I mean, I don't do what I do because it's fun. It is fun sometimes. Sometimes. 
But, you know, most of the time it's enjoyable. But I don't do what I do because it's enjoyable. I do it because I had an understanding of God's love and His goodness. And I can't keep it to myself. And that's what happens to, to believers if you get consumed with God's love. God's love compels you. We looked at that last week. Compels you to, to want to do the right thing. So people make the gospel about morality. You have to live a moral life. We all agree morals are good. Please be moral. Okay? We all agree holy living is good. Doing good things is good. But that's a fruit of salvation. You don't get salvation because you do those things. That's just a result of your salvation. Okay? Another thing that people pervert the gospel about is money. Okay? And I've mentioned it a couple times already. And that's kind of what I'm talking about at the moment from last week as well. So to continue on that, people make the gospel about money or materialism. They think that if I serve God, I'm going to have a blessed life. And most people, if you say I'm blessed, they automatically think money. They automatically think I have no problems. I've got my bills paid, etc., etc., etc. Here's an interesting thought. You can see what someone truly believes by their reaction to having money or not having money. Okay? Selah. <laughs> but, read through Romans. You know, Romans is considered, the book of Romans in the Bible is considered to be the, Paul's masterpiece on salvation. So, if we want to know anything about salvation, read through the whole book of Romans and you'll, you'll, you'll be able to understand that's why I went into Romans a bit quickly and pulled out some verses to show you salvation. Okay? Did you know that you can't find anything about money and salvation in Romans? It's amazing. And yet a lot of Christianity, or churchianity rather, is about money. You know, I've, I've been in meetings where they'll close the doors until the offering is done. You can't leave until you've given. And I've heard worse stories than that, but anyway... Money is not mentioned. It's, there's no reference to salvation bringing you money. And we all want money. I know you want money. Don't lie. You want money. I want money. We want money. That's why there's an offering box. That's why we're taking offering. We want your money. Okay? Because we can do good things with money. You can do good things with money. You can do bad things with money. But we want to use it for good. Okay? You know, but, you know someone asked me this week... Um, um, what if someone got the money in a bad way? I was like, if you don't want to take it, I will. <laughs> I will sanctify it. I'll make it holy by the way I use it. <laughs> so, these people who pervert the gospel, they make it about something temporary. If we took all the money, if, you know, a lot of people don't carry cash uh, nowadays, and I don't have any on me at the moment, but let's say we all had a, money full of, a wallet full of money, cash. And we took all the money and we put it in a bucket chair and I burnt it. You know what that proves? Besides being stupid. <laughs> it proves that money is temporal. It's not eternal. Money is temporal. It's not eternal. The gospel is an eternal issue which impacts the temporal. But people who pervert the gospel make it about something of that it's, 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 it's the focus is more for now. And Jesus says that Wealth will perish. Matthew chapter 6. We looked at that last week. So, you know, if, if people pervert the gospel and make it about money, they're promoting greed and self-centeredness through their teaching. 
They are putting unbelievers off of Christianity. And a lot of Christ- I've heard a lot of unbelievers say things like this. I don't want to go to church because all they do is they talk about money. Well, now I'm doing the opposite. <laughs> Talking about money in a way that they probably like. Okay? But it puts people off because we tell them, if you want God to bless you, you must pay Him. If you want God to look after you, you must pay Him. Have you done your insurance premium with God? Are you going to be blessed this month? Have you tithed? Otherwise, the devil's going to get you. It's a lie. It's fraud. And any pastor, even if they've got a, a suit, they're lying to you if they say that. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. It's not God Father, it's God the Father. It's not the mob where you have to pay money because you know, God's going to organize somebody to come and to like clap you if you don't pay him money. God doesn't need your money. He wants to use your money in the kingdom, but uh, that's just to include you. So it's important for us to look at some of these misconceptions about wealth and what should our attitude be towards money. Because in general, our Christian life is based on what we believe. And so if your beliefs are based on an incorrect interpretation of the Bible, your fruit is going to be bad. So you need to understand the Bible properly if you want to have good fruit in your life. You know, I taught something completely different but on the same topic this morning in Tigerberg. And afterwards I heard from someone, they said that, you know, in the church that they were at previously, they would, um, like they would be forced to give. You know, the first salary check of the month, the whole thing needs to go, of, of the year, sorry, needs to go to the church. And I know some people who did this, and then they would sponge off of other people to try and make it through the month. <laughs> because their whole salary needed to go to the church. And they called it first fruits, which is misunderstanding of what first fruits is. They, they twisted the Bible to take an offering. And then they were constantly pressured and pushed. And they didn't have a lot, but now they were giving a lot, and they were suffering because of that. God doesn't want you to suffer because you have to give an offering. If you choose to suffer because you're giving an offering, God will honor you for that. But He's not forcing that on you. You, you, you get to give. You don't have to give. When our interpretation of the Bible is wrong, our worship of God can never be right. And by worship, I mean the way that we live. Okay? So let me give you your favorite scripture. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. We're going to start in the King James with this one. Give and it shall be given to you, unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with that same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured unto you again. Hallelujah. Should we take an offering? Because this verse is often used to say now you must give. If you look at the whole chapter... It's not talking about money. It's not a teaching on giving. Okay? It's a t- that chapter is actually a, a teaching on the character of God. And I'm going to show you the character and nature of God here in a moment. Was Jesus referring to material giving and receiving? No. We need to look at the words here. We need to consider the context. Okay? Firstly, is this talking about God? Let's look at it. Give and it shall be given unto you. 
etc., etc., shall men give into your bosom. It doesn't say God will give to you. It says men will give to you. So there's our first clue that there's a problem with our application in most churches. Okay? God is the one mentioned here, not men. Uh, uh, not the one mentioned, men is mentioned. If we look at James, James chapter 1 verse 5, easy to read version. It says, Do any of you need wisdom? Ask God for it. He is generous and enjoys giving to everyone, so He will give you wisdom. What I like about this verse is if you look it up in the Greek and you start to kind of just uh, 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 define it according to the Greek, what it's doing is describing the nature of God as God is the generous giving God and He's also the, He's not a fault-finding God. So this is His nature. God isn't a fault-finding God, number one, and He's a generous giving God. Okay? Now we have to, we have to, we have to unpack that a bit more, so we will. But what, 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 what we need to see here is that uh, we can say that God's giving is independent of you. The beneficiary, the person receiving, God doesn't give based on the individual. This is good news. This will bless you. Because a lot of us think, why is God blessing that one? Why is God giving healing to that one or money to that one or a good job to that one? And here I am, I'm, I, I haven't had my big break. What's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Why is God blessing so-and-so and not me? Let's all put our eyes onto Dubai. And let's all get bitter about it for a moment. As we look at the world's wealthiest people who are Muslim. And we can say, why is God blessing them? Why does He love them more than us? It's stupid thinking. Because it doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. Do you know what God did? He put wealth in the earth for whoever lives here. <laughs> the gold in the earth isn't reserved for believers. It would be nice if it was, but it's not. Who, who can have the gold in the world, in the earth? Whoever wants to dig it out. Okay, whoever's willing to go and mine. Or whoever has the opportunity to do so. Okay? It's, 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 it's about opportunity and it's about desire. It's about skill with anything in the whole world. So we've we, we got to see God set it up so that anybody can just make money. He didn't actually create money. God doesn't have a printing machine. He doesn't have a reserve bank. He didn't create the money system. He created trees. And then man decided, hey, let's turn trees into paper and then at some point they decided, let's turn paper into money. And then let's start trading with this. And God had nothing to do with it. And now we're like, why is God giving that one more money than me? It doesn't work like that. James chapter 1 verse 16 to 17. <coughs> My dear brothers and sisters, don't be fooled about this. Everything good comes from God. Okay, let's pause there. Do unbelievers have good things in their lives? Yes. Where's it from? God. Uh-oh. But I thought God only blesses those who give to Him. Everything good comes from God. Every good, every perfect gift is from Him. 
These good gifts come down from the Father who made all the lights in the sky, but God never changes like the shadows from those lights. He is always the same. So we see here God's character never changes. And so He's, he's the giving God. He gives to anybody and everybody without finding fault. That's what the, how the scripture puts it. So he's not looking at you and going, ah, oh, let's see, Sumi, what's your church attendance been this year? What's your giving uh, uh, a record? And have you been living holy? Okay, yes, I can give to you. Because otherwise, you'd have the richest people in the world must be the most godly. The richest people in this world must be the most faithful people. But it doesn't work like that. Because salvation is an eternal issue. It's got nothing to do with money. The Bible doesn't tell you how to use faith to make money. The Bible tells you that because you have faith, this is how you should use your money. <laughs> okay? There's a difference. Let's look at uh, God's character in giving. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 to 45. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both evil and good, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. My uh, uh, wife's uh, stepdad is a farmer. He farms with wheat. And uh, if there's rain in the area, it doesn't matter how ungodly his neighbors are, they, I don't know their neighbors, so I'm just saying, if they are ungodly, they get rain. Okay? Rain comes on everybody. The sun shines on everybody. Sometimes we need some more, so we might pray for more or whatever. <laughs> Maybe we need less or whatever the case is, you know, the, the situations. But the reality is, is that if we live in this world, we can experience the goodness of God just because we're breathing. Okay? Luke chapter 8 verse, uh, or 6 verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with that same measure you meet... Uh, withal it shall be measured unto you again. So it's not God who's giving back to man when we give. Okay? God's not reacting to your actions. God isn't reacting to you and giving to you. The character of God is giving. That's His nature. And that's what Jesus is teaching here and making clear. Okay? That text says, Shall men give into your bosom? So, this whole chapter is talking about relationships with each other. Unfortunately, that's how we operate. But God's better than that. What do I mean? Okay? You want someone to treat you nicely, what do you need to do? Treat them nicely. <laughs> you want someone to forgive you, what do you do? You forgive them. I like the rubbing of the shoulders there. You know, if you want uh, uh, someone to, to give you a nice gift, you maybe give them a nice gift. That's how people think in the world. Right? God gives you before you ask. God blesses you before you ask. Jesus died for you before you were born. Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead to save you before you, you were even consider, a consideration. You know, there was, you were nowhere near the, the lineage there. So look at the, let's look at a couple of verses around this. If you look at the verse just before this. Uh, 6.37, it says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. This is not talking about relationship with God, where 
if I'm not going to judge, then God won't judge me. If I don't condemn, then God won't condemn me. If I don't forgive, it's, it's not saying that. This is saying in relationship with people, if you forgive others, they'll forgive you. If you are gracious with others, they'll be gracious with you. If, if you're not judgy to people, they won't be judgy to you. Think about that judgy person in your life, because it's not you, I know. <laughs> you love treating them the way they deserve, often. You shouldn't, but you do. But God always treats us better than we deserve. That's grace. Let's look at a, a chunk of uh, uh, verse here, because Jesus is talking about justification, forgiveness, judgment, not money. From Luke chapter 6, verse 27. I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. What's that saying? It's saying, don't treat people as they deserve. Don't treat people as they deserve. Why? Do you think God is better than you? Or that you are better than God? It's not a trick question. Are you better than God? No. God is better than you. So if we treat people, if, if the encouragement here is from Jesus and He's saying, love your enemies, do you think He loves His enemies? Yes. Of course He loves His enemies. Then it says, do good to them which hate you. What did Jesus do on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if, if He can do that, then if we do that, we're being like Him. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto them that smite thee, like knock you, on the one cheek, also offer the other cheek. That's saying, don't, don't say here, hit me on the other side too. It's not saying that. It's saying, don't respond. So when someone's mean to you, don't respond. When they persecute you, don't respond. And yet you're itching. I need to say something. I need to respond. But be like Jesus. It goes on, I'm going to look at verse 30. Give to every man that asks of thee, and of him that taketh away the goods, your, your goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do to them likewise. So treat people better than they deserve. Treat them the way you want them to treat you. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? What, what, why would someone thank you for doing what you should do? <laughs> you know, uh, For sinners love those that love them. So the encouragement from Jesus is be better than a sinner. A sinner loves people who love them. You must love people who don't love you. Verse 33. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For even sinners do that. If you lend to them which have you, of whom you have no hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good, lending, hoping nothing for return, and, uh, uh, nothing again, for your reward shall be great. Here's the key, and you shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father is merciful. So here we see the nature of God in this passage. The nature of God is he is kind to the unthankful. And he is kind to the evil. And he is merciful. He's not treating people as they deserve. He's treating them better than they deserve. 
even the unthankful and even the evil. So unbelievers included. If God wasn't like this, we would see a clear cut line between believers and unbelievers. But sometimes you can't. Because you can't see the spirit. In the spirit, it's life and it's death. You can't see that with your naked eye. With your physical eye, you can't see that. We can see the fruit of that, hopefully. The more we, 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 we grow and mature, we should see more fruit of that. But then he says, give expecting nothing in return. You know that this is true love. is giving expecting nothing in return. And yet what do the, 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 the perverters of the gospel say? You must expect a return when you give. So if you're not expecting a return, then you're not going to get a return. So now they try and stir your faith up to say, yeah, here's my money. I'm believing that I'm going to get a hundredfold return. That, there's a whole explanation from the Bible as to what that actually means. It doesn't, it's not talking about money. It's talking about agriculture. <laughs> Can you believe it? We've taken agriculture uh, 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 stories from Genesis and we're making them into money. Hundredfold return literally just means a full crop, a full harvest. <laughs> but anyway. So, agape is God's kind of love. That's the Greek word for it. And it means self-sacrificial love. So self-sacrificial love, if you listen, if you've been here before or any amount of times and you listen to when we announce the offering box or we take a special offering, we never say to you, if you want a blessing, you need to give into this offering. We'll never say that. We might have a guest a speaker slip through the cracks and say something like that. But we will never say something like that. And if someone says it from the front, you smile and you ignore them. Because we don't do that. That's not Bible. We're not going to chuck them out because we invited them. <laughs> okay? But the point is, is that uh, 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 agape, true love, God's kind of love, doesn't expect anything return. God's blessings are for you. I mean, imagine if He expected a return from uh, the air that you breathe. He expected a return from the sunshine or the water or the, the gold. Anyway, God's not petty. Amen? He doesn't give or judge you. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse four, uh, 43. You have heard that it's been said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on evil and on good, and send us rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans, the tax collectors, do the same. And if you salute your brethren only, greet your, your, your brothers only, what do you do more than others? You know, publicans do this too. But you therefore uh, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, obviously God gives to unbelievers and He gives to believers. Okay? It's not a, a, a He's no respecter of persons. There's no favoritism. His nature is to give irrespective of your action. 
His nature is to give to you and bless you irrespective of have you been a good boy or girl today. It's yours. That's why people do wicked things with wealth. Okay? He's not a reactionary giver. We are. Yeah, company, com current company excluded. But I, we all know people who your friend or your brother or your sister or whatever gives you a, a crummy gift for your birthday and their birthday is after yours. You're going to be very keen to give them a crummy gift. Something that's not so great. Because now you're giving back to them what they gave to you. It's a reactionary giving. God's not like that. God's not like that. Okay? Yeah, I remember years back we had a, a month where there was more um, month at the end of our money than money at the end of our month. You get what I mean? I remember that, that we couldn't pay much and we didn't have much and uh, we, didn't, we, we don't tell people when we have needs and stuff, so we didn't say anything about it. We just smiled and carried on and trusted God. And uh, we prayed and we were like, God, we know that this is just mismanagement somehow. <laughs> we, we don't know what happened here. And obviously we didn't give this month because it's too late now. <laughs> There's nothing there. And so we were just like, please just, we, we thank you that, that you took what we deserve so we get what you deserve. That was our confession. We were like, we get what you deserve and you took what we deserve. So although we're just reaping what we've sown, we, we, the, having the consequences of our decisions, we have, we, we're thanking you that you're going to treat us better than this. <laughs> That's what we prayed. And we had such a great month. People randomly bought groceries or gave us money and stuff, and nobody knew about that situation. So, you know, we, we experienced the goodness of God, and it wasn't because we gave. It wasn't because we, we were wise either at that time. <laughs> so, you know, God doesn't give to us because we give to Him. And that's important for us to see. So, very quickly, what does the Bible teach about getting wealth? I'm going to share one or two verses before we close. Um, let's start off in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let him, who stole, uh, sorry, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So, let him who stole. What does that mean? It's a thief. It's a thief. Someone who got through dishonest gain. Okay? The Bible is teaching against dishonest gain. The Bible is telling us if you, get, if you can get something in a dishonest way, don't do it. Okay? And uh, then he says, um, uh, uh, labor. I know we love that word. But think about the word labor for a moment. You know that throughout all the, the, the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, we'll look at another verse in a moment, but they all give us instruction to work hard. <laughs> and yet most of the time we don't want to. We'd rather kick, it, kick, uh, kick, kick back and just relax. But the Bible says work hard. That's what labor means. Okay? Working with, with your hands, not with someone else's hands. Working with your hands, that which is good. Okay, so that's make an honest living. You know, the, the culture of Christ is a good work ethic. The culture of Christianity is in the marketplace, people will go, wow, you are diligent, you are faithful, you're honest, you're hardworking, I want you as an employee. I'm going to give a promotion to you because you work hard. 
You know, not because you're walking around saying, I'm a Christian and I'm blessed and that's my position. I declare it in the name of Jesus. That's mine. That's covetous. That's greed. It's idolatry. Okay? So, you can ask yourself, am I diligent in my work, in my studies? Because diligence is a way we worship God. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, from the Passion Translation. For you know very well that you should order your lives after our example, because we were not undisciplined when we were with you. We did not sponge off of you. That's why I chose this version. I like that. We didn't sponge off of you, but we worked hard day and night and day to provide our own food and lodging and not to be a burden on any of you. It wasn't because we don't have the right to be supported, but we wanted to provide you an example to follow. And when we were with you, we instructed you with these words, anyone who does not work for a living should go hungry. That's in the Bible. <laughs> if you're not prepared to work, if you're lazy, you should be hungry. That's what it's saying. Now, obviously, there's extenuating circumstances. You can't work, maybe you're ill, that's understandable. You can't work and that you're looking for a job and you can't find one, that's understandable. Okay? There's always grace. Amen? Uh, but one of the things which I love here is it's saying, as a minister, he's saying, we have the right to be supported. But we chose to work to be an example to you that we're not lazy. My favorite thing, a few... Uh, uh, weeks back is you know we've got a, a carpet cleaning company was to go and clean someone's carpets in their home that's in the church they struggled with it very much that myself and Lucas as, as leaders in the church came into their home and we were vacuuming and we were scrubbing and cleaning and whatever and they were like this is something else for their brain they had to go it's amazing because hard work's not a sin and you've got to pay your bills right There's so many things that we can get into in this. Um, let me see, let me see, let me see. 1 Corinthians 4. No, 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 no. Let's go back down to... We got the, the don't eat one. Examples of occupations. So, the basically, if you look at different uh, letters of the New Testament, you see that the, 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 the instruction is work and work hard. The fruit of your labor is what you eat. And we should have, as it says in that verse in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he says that, you know, if you stole, don't steal anymore. Work hard with your hands so that you can have something to give. So the purpose of you working isn't to provide your needs. Think about that. The purpose of us working is so that we can be a blessing. So that we have something to be able to give to people. So we have something to be able to share with those in need or with the gospel. Do you know the gospel has a big need to get to the ends of the earth and it takes money to do that. Okay, so let's just look at a couple occupations just so that you can see that there's Christians in the Bible who worked. <laughs> okay, so you've got um, in Colossians 4.14, Colossians 4.14, it speaks about Luke. In Colossians 4.14, so down a couple of verses there. And uh, you can tell me what you think uh, Luke was here. 
What was he, Janesh? A doctor. <laughs> he was a, a doctor, the beloved physician. Can we call you that? <laughs> the beloved physician. That's awesome. Then the next one, uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to 3. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, uh, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So, because he was with the, of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. It's not such a lucrative business nowadays, which proves a point. Maybe God had given them a skill and a desire and a passion. They loved making tents. It was intense, but they loved doing it. And they made these tents and they sold these tents because everyone needed a tent. <laughs> okay? And uh, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> but the point is, is that like you, you're not going to make mega bucks, maybe, you know, off of some, like, I mean, let's say God gives you a dream and you have a Fuji film in your mind. You have this Kodak film and you, you design it and you're like, people can take pictures and they can send it in with a chemist and it can be developed and you can get hard copy pictures. And so you do that and you're making millions and millions and millions and then what happens? A digital, digital camera comes out. And you're like, but God gave me this idea. I'm not going to go digital. God gave me this idea. The whole world goes digital and you go under. I'm trying to show you like, uh, 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 what our ideas are only as good as the opportunities we have to live them out. Our ideas that we have and are only as good as uh, uh, society's willingness to pay us for them. God, you, you might get a God-given idea. Whether you need prayer, whether you money. have a question. And you're like, wow, I make these dolls. They look horrible. Like everyone doesn't like them. They, they're all like weird and stuff. They look like voodoo dolls. And like, you know, and you're like, these are the best things ever. And nobody wants to buy them. Or maybe you're like, wow, I make good rusks. And nobody wants to eat them. You use too much salt. You know. <laughs> and they're just terrible things. Like doesn't matter how much passion you put into it, you're going to fail. If you can't sing, Simon Cowell will tell you. <laughs> you're not going to make it big on idols or whatever other program. Just because you have a passion to sing, God's called you to do singing. Well, God can call you to sing in the shower because no one else is going to listen to you. Okay? The point is, it is dependent on opportunity, it's dependent on your skill, and it's dependent on, is someone willing to pay you for this? There's lots of things I enjoy doing that people don't want to pay me for. Amen? I wanted to make a joke and say preaching, but that's not true. <laughs> anyway, Titus 3 verse 13. Bring Zenus. There's the name of your next child, someone. The lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. So, Zenus was a lawyer. Okay? Evidently, it's not a sin to be a lawyer. Okay? It's in the Bible. A believer was a lawyer. Look at this one. This is maybe a bit more of a, a sensitive topic, but masters and servants. The Bible doesn't say that slavery is good, 
but it speaks to the situation because that was what the culture was in. Okay, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Let as many servants as are under a yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So it's, and it goes on, speaking about the relationship between masters and servants. So that was also a, a work that people engaged in. And then Paul writes to Philemon, Philemon, uh, about his servants. And in Philemon uh, 1 verse 10, he says, I beseech thee, my son, for my son, Omnius, who I have begotten in my bonds. Not now as a servant, but as a servant and a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and unto the Lord. He's, he's talking about the fact that you're both Christians. You should be able to, to uh, get along better. Okay? And um, last one I want to point out here is in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 23. Gaius, mine host, and the whole church. For those of you who are in the morning service, I spoke about... Um, Gaius from Third uh, John. Okay, this is the same person. So this is, Paul's talking about his host and of the whole church saluteth you. And then he says, uh, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. So the a chamberlain is a, an officer who manages a household of a monarch or a noble. So that's quite a, a la-di-da job. It's quite an up-there job that has a lot of prestige, prestigiousness about it, okay? And, um, and so you can see that there was different believers doing different jobs, working different things. So the church wasn't just all sitting in a holy huddle singing Kumbaya and waiting for Jesus to drop money from heaven. They were working hard so that they could look after each other and they could push the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because the gospel is awesome. It changes lives. It changed our lives. And we wanted to do the same for other people. So... Nowhere in the Bible, and there's a lot more uh, uh, um, uh, verses that we would need to look at and unpack and, and, and answer questions on. But from what I've uh, shown you uh, tonight, there's nowhere that you can teach gain through faith. Faith doesn't bring money. Otherwise, I'd be very wealthy and some of you would be too. <laughs> you know, so Lowry's past, if I believed in give to get... I wouldn't be here. I would be in Solari's Pass teaching people and trying to get them to give as much as they can. And I would be milking them for all they're worth because I would believe that they, this is, this is, they need it the most, so I'm going to preach it. They're the hardest. But that's cruel. It's cruel. And it's not just wrong. It's wicked. It's evil. And I haven't said it like that before today, really. But since I'm on a roll today with calling it evil, let me call it evil. People teach that stuff because they don't know better. Because they were taught that. And then what happens? We have testimony time. And there's a thousand people, let's say, in an auditorium. And uh, last week we had a special offering of ten people who gave a thousand rand each. Let's have some of those people come up and share their testimony. And we have one or two people come up and they share their testimony. So out of a, a hall of a thousand people, you've got one or two testimonies about people who made lots of money off of their giving. But, you know, my, my, my challenge to people like that would be, give what you want to give, stop working. <laughs> stop working. Stop working. Don't do anything. If you've got investments, give it away. If you've got any passive income, stop it. Trust God. Give it all away and wait for your ship to come in. <laughs> 
as they like to say. If you can't outgive God, that's not in the Bible, but people make that little saying up. You can't outgive God. So now we're going to send around the bucket and let's give. Because we can't outgive God. Obviously, you can't outgive God. But what they're saying is that whatever you give, you're going to get back. You're not. It's fraud. And what it does is it just makes the person receiving richer. So now stop for a moment if you don't like what I've said and think about it and think, hey, what has Shane got to gain from this? Nothing. Because I need you to give. <laughs> and I'm telling you that your giving is not going to benefit you. It's going to benefit me. It's going to benefit the kingdom. But your giving needs to be because you love Jesus, because you love the kingdom, and because you want to be part of the gospel expansion around the world. That's why we give. And what I've been blessed is, as I've taught this uh, more, more um, uh, uh, boldly, I guess, over the last two years or so, I've seen people give big, and yet they know it's not going to benefit them. And I've been like, that's a good heart. That's somebody who's not greedy. That's somebody who loves Jesus. They're not giving because they're like, thank you, Father, I'm going to get a hundredfold return in the name of Jesus. You know, if I do that, I give, and now I'm like, wow, I'm going to believe for my return. I'm not giving because I love. I'm giving because I'm worshiping myself, because I'm thinking about myself. So what have I got to gain from a message like this is maturity, hopefully, in the listener. As you abandon uh, uh, self-centeredness and as you abandon greed, to live more of a selfless life of, I'm yours, Jesus, and I want to grow, and I know that my salvation has nothing to do with money. But now because I'm saved, my money has a purpose. Because I'm saved, my money has a purpose, and it can do a lot more good than I could do before I was a, a, a believer. Amen. Great. Father, I thank you that uh, you are good and only good, and you're good to all. Believer and unbeliever alike. Thank you, Father, that your goodness in the rain and in just all the blessings that we experience in this life. Your blessing is, is really just a way of trying to catch our attention so that we would believe you and be able to enjoy your blessing for eternity, not just this life. Because this life will be over in a moment, and then eternity is forever. And so, Father, I thank you that we can have the privilege and the joy of knowing you and of having a, a relationship with you. Thank you that your desire for us is that we would have money, that we would have our needs met. Thank you, Father, that you've given us ability, you've given us skill. You've given us wisdom and you can give us more to be able to put our hands to work, put ideas to work, to be able to be industrious, to make money so that we can uh, look after ourselves, look after our families and be a blessing to other people and the kingdom. Thank you, Father, for the, the wonder of the pure, glorious gospel of you forgiving all of our sins and not holding anything against us, treating us far better than we deserve. And all we need to do is believe. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can experience so much more than we deserve. 
Father, I just pray for each one here this evening that they would walk away from here with a revelation, an understanding of your true character and nature in such a fresh way, Father. That they would have been impacted by knowing that you are a giving God. That you're not trying to find fault with them. And that you are always gracious and always good to everybody. In this week ahead, may we see your goodness at every turn. Even when things are rough and tough, I thank you that you are good in those moments, Father. You're not causing the rough and tough, but you are there to hold us. You're there to guide us. You're there to help us through. We trust this teaching has blessed you and enriched you in your faith. We want to invite you to contact us online www.gracelife.co That's www.gracelife.co You can find a whole bunch of free teachings online. You can also find out how to partner with us should you wish to support this ministry. And you can find out how to contact us if you have a prayer request. We invite you to contact us www.gracelife.co